Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who'll be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. Just a quick note before tonight's chat. If you've been here to the Speakeasy before, you know I haven't been running any ads. Well, recently, Paul Stokes, the driving force behind the Audiobook Reviewer website, contacted me and asked about sponsoring the show. And when I thought about it, I realized having a sponsor who has a product or service that is specifically geared toward audiobook professionals and listeners would not only help me keep the lights on here in the Speakeasy, my listeners would also appreciate hearing about it. At least, that's my hope. So I added some support tiers on the Speakeasy Patreon page, and I'm very happy to welcome the Audiobook Reviewer as my first official podcast sponsor. You can find them at audiobookreviewer.com, where you can read audiobook reviews, learn about the ABR Audiobook Listener Awards, and find out how to get your audiobook reviewed. And now, let's talk about audiobooks over some drinks. My guest tonight is an award-winning audiobook narrator who is also a web designer who specializes in websites for audiobook narrators. Andrea Ms. Chenna, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight. Thanks, Rich. I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad you could make it. What are you drinking tonight? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not a very heavy drinker, uh, but I like me some Smirnoff ice. So I have a Smirnoff ice. Smirnoff I swear to God, I'm not drunk yet. <laughs> <laughs> You're only on the first ice. one, right? I know. <laughs> I can't say it. I need hold on. I need to look up Forvo and figure out how to say this real quick. <laughs> Smirnoff ice apple. <laughs> Smirnoff ice. So I don't think that I've had that one, but I did go through a period a while back. This was probably eight or ten years ago, where uh, what I really loved was uh, some Mike's Hard Lemonade. Oh yeah. So yeah, I was I was Definitely. a big big fan of some of the uh, the trendier Alka Pops for a while. Um, and and when Mike came out with several um, different flavors, I tried yep. most of them. Um, the cherry is okay. I haven't had a, one of the cherry ones. Nothing like the original though. Yeah, I I really I kept going back to the original lemonade because I just thought it was the best. Um, but since I'm not really doing much, uh, in the way of sweet drinks these days, that's just, that's way too much sugar for me. So I can't handle a whole one. So I figure if I'm not going to drink the whole thing, I might as well drink something else instead. But, uh, Smirnoff ice. All right. Well, that's great. I am joining you with a classic cocktail and aviation, which, uh, I've never actually had before tonight, a full size aviation. I learned how to make them because, uh, my wife was traveling one time. Stopped in a bar in an airport, uh, getting to wherever she was going, and had an aviation, and she liked it. So uh, I learned how to make it, and uh, got the ingredients, and I made her one. And she said, "This is really different than what I had in the bar." I have a feeling it was a a signature cocktail of some sort where they added a lot more sugar for uh, for travelers. But uh, but looked it up, decided how to make it, and uh, or learned how to make it. And so I thought, you know, I think I'm going to have one tonight. It's got a little bit of that sweetness, but not the amount that you'd get in a whole Smirnoff ice. So uh, <laughs> so anyway, aviation and Smirnoff ice. Thanks for coming in tonight. Cheers. Ooh, I like that clink. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a while to get that. You can listen to some older episodes, and I had a lot of trouble, but I finally figured out how to the right implement to use for a good cheers. It's a good one. <laughs> I approve my Smirnoff off to you. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. So, Andrea, where are you from? Uh, well, I was originally born in Florida, 
uh, grew up in Tennessee for a while, but um, I'm really, I guess you would say, from Rhode Island. That's where I grew up the most, where pretty much like 90% of my family lives. So wow, I'm a New Rhode Englander. Island. So uh, yeah. have you been to Johnny Heller's workshop in uh, Rhode Island? No, I really wanted to, um, but between the stuff that happened with the flood in 2017, I wasn't able to go, and then things have just been really busy and hectic, and I spent a lot of money this year at APAC and Here Now Festival, and then I I went to Maine for the audiophile uh, lobster bake, and all of it was completely worth it. But but now I need to work. <laughs> yeah, it drains the budget though. So, it does. Uh, I, I figured, but I hear it's fantastic. I hear it's absolutely fantastic. I've heard the same thing. And when you said that you spent a lot of your time growing up in Rhode Island, I can just imagine you getting the notification that Johnny's going to be having a workshop in Rhode Island and saying, "I can go home and I can visit people and I can do this workshop." Oh, exactly. Well, that's that's one of the beauties. Like when I went to APAC this year, because I ended up going to Rhode Island before. Uh, APAC. Then I took a train to New York for our conference and then took a train back to Rhode Island, hung out with the family and then took a plane to Here Now Festival. Oh, so it was really fantastic. nice. To, yeah. 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 Book and book and the business trip with some uh, some visiting. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, so what did you do after you got out of Rhode Island school? Yeah, I went to college uh, first at University of Tampa. I went back to Florida. Oh, back to Florida. I did. Yeah. Uh, I'm not really a cold weather kind of person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Neither am I. I completely understand. Uh, yeah. And um, I ended up actually in Orlando where I did a lot of um, of theme park work, dancing and singing in theme parks. I was Ariel for a little while and um, at Walt Disney World uh, or Ariel and um, uh, The Bride of Frankenstein at Universal Studios, Princess Anita at the Pirates Dinner Adventure. And wow. So was this all while you were going to school? No, I ended up, <laughs> I had to drop out of my freshman year at University of Tampa, unfortunately, due to fund issues. Uh, so then I made my way to Orlando and then started <clears throat> working as a singer and dancer, like all over the place. And so I ended up finishing my um, my associate's degree in fine arts there at Valencia College. But then I didn't get like my bachelor of science degree until 2012. But in so, California. So, uh, well, that's quite a bit later. Um, but when you were when you were doing that, so you start at school, you have funding issues, you move out of that, and you go into performing. What drove you into performing when you got out of when you when you left school that that, that time? Well, it's actually what I've always wanted to do, and what my sights were for even college. Uh, I wanted to have something that was I could go call and follow the um, uh, what do you call it? Have for a backup. Um, oh, right. Uh-huh. But um, I mean, I had been doing dancing and performing since I was like four from little recitals or, uh. you know, the, the junior high or high school plays. And then I started training at Trinity Arts Center in Rhode Island, which was awesome. I did some amazing plays. So I, I come from a musical theater background. Got it. So and, it's been in your blood. It had been in your blood for a long time before you started doing that as work. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually really when when I think about who I am, I'm like, I am an actor mm. just through and through. And no matter even like I used to be a game designer, you know, and I loved that. And I'm a gamer geek. But even during then, it's like I, I still would feel the pull to go back to my roots and go to what I love, which is, you know, performing. Performing. Right. So uh, so how did you get into game design? <laughs> well, so after Orlando, I did that for a long time. Then I was like, OK. And I got my, you know, SAG card. I'm like, I need to really 
try this now or never. So it's either going to be L.A. or New York, an mm. L.A. one. Yeah. Mostly because of the weather. <laughs> <laughs> Again, totally understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I did the whole wannabe thing for quite some time and I had some success. But again, most of my I did a little bit TV and film, but it was mostly voiceover uh, and really just musical theater, um, uh, which is great because I love that. Um, but then I actually even headlined in Vegas um, oh, wow. for a while. Yeah. In a girl. I was in a girl group. They were awesome. The Gigi girls. They so, were fun. <laughs> so what kind of what, what kind of show was that? What kind of performance? kind of like a cabaret in a sense we did covers from when we first started was from the 1940s all the way to the music of today like boogie woogie bugle boy all Mm -hmm. the way to like you know don't speak Mm -hmm. um but no doubt um but then as as we started cultivating our show it ended up being the 60s 70s 80s and the music of today that's great though i mean so so it wasn't um it's not acting like you're in a play but holy cow, that's that's got to be a lot of character work if you're doing all kinds. If it's a cabaret kind of show and you're doing all kinds of different music, I'm sure it wasn't just standing up singing. I'm sure it was kind of an. No, uh, we had all, costumes and, yeah, and choreography. Kind of yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the 60s part, the section was the best because we did a ton of Aretha, Diana, Donna Ross, uh, Diana Ross, mm-hmm. <laughs> Diana Ross and, uh, um, you know, Tina Turner. And, oh, it was just, oh, it was the best. That's great. That was a good, that was a good time. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So, so, so during that time and I, I then I was like driving back and forth to LA, uh, to, uh, to, and Vegas, but I also, um, I was a magician's assistant for a little bit. <laughs> um, did you work at the magic castle? No, but I've been there. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's uh, a really cool place. I've been there once because uh, I had a friend who was assisting a friend of his whose regular assistant was sick or something. I don't even know. It's the only way that I could get in. Um, well, yeah, yeah. You have was, to it, you have to come in with a, a member. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it was uh, it was a really cool place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've been there several times. A very good friend of mine uh, works, performs there all the time. Mm. Um, fantastic magician, Matt Marcy. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, so and then I was doing a stunt show um in orange county and i got hurt a stunt um, show what was that yeah uh it, it's pirates dinner adventure it's like a medieval times but pirate themed ah okay got it medieval so, times i'm familiar with have never and have never actually been there in buena park but i've heard of, and they probably have other ones as well but um i've certainly heard of it and i remember the one year that my sister and i couldn't figure out what to give my parents for I think it was a Christmas present, so we actually got them a gift certificate to go to Medieval Times. And the way my mom described it, I thought, yeah, I'm not sure that I would really like that kind of show. But um, but this sounds like uh, it was uh, not a good experience for you. Well, the show itself was awesome. I loved the show. I actually started oh, the show in Orlando. Well, I didn't. St- I was like the second tier of of cast mm-hmm. in Orlando. Um, and then I ended up opening the the show. Um, in uh, Buena Park. Uh, and I loved it. The cast was amazing. The show was a lot of fun. Um, and the only reason why it was a quote bad experience was because I got hurt. Um, yeah. During so a stunt. What happened? Yeah. During a, well, during a stunt, it was a partnered stunt. So I was making my way to my partner. And as I like sashayed down, I'm supposed to like, like kind of plie down to like squat down so I can like have power to jump. And then he would lift me over the boom, the boom of the, um, the ship where the sail is attached, uh, mm. was lowered. And unfortunately I sprained my ankle, uh, and like stepped on my own ankle or something. It was pretty crazy. Yes. And then, but he had already had me. So we were in, in motion 
So I was now dead weight. <laughs> and then my my ankle like slammed the metal boom. So um, oh, that's yeah. And I finished the show um, mostly by people carrying me or me standing in one spot, just crying. It was awful. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but because of that, uh, I ended up getting diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome. So that's my neurological pain disorder that I suffer from now. So and back then was, was, it was, was that a yeah, result weight work. of the injury or was yeah. that? Oh, okay. So that was yeah. the result of the injury. Yeah, for it's called RSD or CRIPS, complex regional pain syndrome. And what it is is with any kind of traumatic situation that happens to your body, could be a sprain, could be a stubbed toe. I've heard of stories where uh, this little girl stubbed her toe and got it. Uh, a surgery or anything traumatic that happens to your body, your nerves could break, I guess, or misfire or whatever the issue is. Mm -hmm. And then it just starts sending all these funky pain signals going, oh my God, oh my God, I'm so hurt. And you're like, I'm fine. So, but it totally messes with you. It's kind of like fibromyalgia on crack in a way. And yeah. I've been very lucky. I only have stage one because there's stage two and stage three and they're pretty horrific. Yeah. Um, that, wow, that's horrible. So I'm sorry to hear that that happened. I, I know that you had that, but I didn't realize that it was from a show that you were working in. Yeah. Well, thanks. You know, it's been quite the experience. I mean, you know, during that time, and this leads up into the game design question you had. Um, from that, I mean, there was a time where I was completely invalid and I just couldn't do anything. If I wasn't screaming in pain, I was just lying there. I actually played a lot of EverQuest and uh, WoW um, during that time, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, which was great because I couldn't sleep. I have inssomnia now. And uh, so it was great to socialize. Um, so but insomnia, I, was that driven by the Crips or was that something that predated it? I kind of always had a little bit of it because I've, I've been quite the night owl, but the Crips actually severely enhanced it. Well, I'm sure. So I'm lucky it. if I, I get to sleep about three or four. Wow. And that's me trying, laying in bed, just trying to read myself to sleep. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's all good. <laughs> I wouldn't call that good, but I totally get your attitude and I think it's great. Uh, it's, you know, what I always try to keep, <laughs> keep in the forefront of my mind when I see somebody who's, uh, you know, acting a certain way or doing something that seems kind of odd to me is everybody's got something and um, yeah. you never know what it is. Uh, sometimes people don't even realize that they have something and, uh, and they're, and <laughs> they're like, lucky to find out later. Um, so everybody has something. I'm sorry that that's the something that you have to deal with, but uh, anyway, go on. So getting back to the game design. Yeah. Um, yeah, no worries. So during that time, actually, I, I wrote an album and I, I toured for a little bit, uh, once I got more functional and wait, I've been wait, through. Wait, 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 you wrote an album? I did. What, uh, what does that it's mean? Called it's called I'm On My Way. So I wrote a bunch of songs and partnered with a bunch of musicians, and I self-published an album. Wow. If you actually go to my, my andreams.com website, there's a music tab, and you can see it there. Um, That's that great. Was... I will definitely be looking that up. <laughs> but just so you know, it's Christian-based, and I know where you stand about that. But <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Uh, I, I can always, there are always, whether it's audiobooks or music or whatever, I can appreciate talent and um dedication and drive, uh, even if it's not something that I happen to agree with. So I, I love that. I'm the same way. I am totally on the same way, you know, but the thing about that, and again, I swear to God, this ties into the game design. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. No problem. Hold on. I need, I need a drink. Hold on. No, that's fine. Um, I, I love going down these roads and, and that's <laughs> one of the things that I love most about doing this podcast is, um, is finding out more about somebody's history and where they mm -hmm. came from and what they've come through 
to get to where they are today. And um, because because everybody does have something. Everybody's got a story. And there are so many people that we interact with on a daily basis, not just audiobook narrators, but everybody. There's so many people that you interact with and you have no idea what their story is. And maybe you wouldn't even care about their story, but maybe you would. Maybe you find something in common with somebody and think, oh my God, I've got Crips. Or, oh my God, there's somebody else who I've been interacting with online casually, and it turns out that we grew up on the same block, or, you know, whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. I'm I'm really fascinated by the stories that people have. So so I love the fact that this is kind of meandering a little. So anyway, (laughs) back to game design. Well, well, hold on. Let's go back to the tangent for a second. Okay, all right. (laughs) I'll swing it around to game designville. Okay. Um, no, just to figure out one of the things that was really important for my 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 mental health, not only just in dealing with the pain management, was keeping myself occupied and and busy mentally. And that's what the album did for me because I was just I was hyper focused on that instead of trying to because sometimes the pain just no, no medication will help. It just it's just there. Mm-hmm. So you have to mind over matter it. And that was one of the that was such a cathartic experience for me and actually very healing. And then at that point, I'm like, well, I, I can't go back to performing because I, especially back then, I couldn't stand or walk for more than two minutes without screaming pain. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I'm like, well, let me see what jobs I could get myself into because I had to completely retire from everything. It was in mid, uh, we were in mid contract for the, the Gigi girls for the Vegas group. And I had just signed on to join another group in Vegas and I had the stunt show and I was doing voiceover. I just had like, I was like climbing. I was doing really well. And then everything just stopped. Wow. So I was like, what am I going to do? And so after a little pity party, um, I got my bootstraps on and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll go back to college. Cause I, I mean, I don't want to just be a bank teller and I've always wanted to finish my degree. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, what do I want to do? That's sedentary and that's still creative. And I was like, looking into game design, especially since now more along the lines where they're actually offering classes and degrees on that. And I signed up and started going back to college in 2009 in um, North Hollywood, California. And I actually met my husband there because he went back to college as well. Different background story of reason why. And so then I worked at Disney Interactive uh, for a couple of years, which is awesome. And... So that's kind of how I got into game design. And actually before that, before I ended up finishing my degree, I, I was a, a game reviewer for a few magazines. One was LA Canvas, um, which actually started at my school. And then uh, two e-zines, rip10.com and forbiddenpanel.com. And I got to interview Ernie Klein for Ready Player One when that book came out. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that's- that's like my only ooh ah ooh moment. <laughs> <laughs> now, it sounds like you've had quite a few of those moments, just maybe not quite that celebrity-based. Um, where was it that you went in North Hollywood, having spent a little bit of time there myself? Oh, the Art Institute. Art right Institute. Right on Lancashire. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, I, I don't Lancashire. remember that, but this was, eh, geez, 30 years ago, I think, when I was... Oh. <laughs> uh, and, and at the time, I was actually working in a bank. So, um, oh. anyway, um, well, that's great. So, you ended up getting a degree in game design. So, did you start... You were mentioning working with um, Disney Interactive, I think you said? Yeah. Um, w- did you have those jobs as you were going to school because they knew you were taking that type of coursework, or did you get those jobs after you got the degree? The the magazines were while I was in college. The gaming companies that I worked with was after I got my degree. 
Um, I worked a little bit with Floor 84 and I did Bento Box Interactive for a little bit. And then I did the most of my game design, uh, which is more content narrative uh, and hidden object scenes, was on uh, with Disney Interactive. So what kind of what I'm I, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I'm really kind of fascinated as I, I am not a serious gamer, but I do enjoy gaming. And yeah. um, and so even though at this point I've only got one console and it's an Atari throwback. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's I, awesome. I'm uh, a huge gamer. We've got like 50 million consoles here. I know that you've posted about, um, God of war, I believe it is. And uh, that is yeah. one of the games that I actually had when I had a PS2. Um, but, but I'm, I'm curious <laughs> as to what specifically you focused on when you were doing game design. So when I, that's a great question. So there's different kinds of game designers. You know, you've got a systems designer, which is the one who deals with a lot of the mathematics of, of uh, okay, like, well, the numbers of, of monetize, monetization or how many points such and such will be if you level up to this thing and all, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the, the mathematic code stuff that goes into how things are leveled up or, or, or how much something costs if you have to craft something or, or whatever. And it's, I'm, I'm like underselling it. There's like way ton more you do, but. Um, oh, no, I'm sure. The, the mathematics yeah. these days behind the games that they come out with, I'm sure are uh, incredible. Yeah, I have mad respect to system designers. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. And then you've got uh, like level designers. Um, and then I content narrative, which is what I did. So um, for me, my biggest thing it was actually really neat, too. I was basically a Disney writer. So, um, I worked on, uh, Nemo's Reef, which was all social media games, all mobile games. Mm. And, uh, Nemo's Reef, I did like a ton of quest dialogue that nobody reads. They just click, 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 click. <laughs> <laughs> but if somebody does, it has I to be there. That. Yep. Exactly. Yep. You know, and it was really cool because you're not only just writing the quest, but you're trying to figure out how the whole story is going to move forward through and pulling the, the gamer through just whatever the levels are. Um, for whatever type of game. But the biggest game I worked on with them was called Hidden Worlds, and it was awesome. Um, each world was like its own little snow um, snow globe type of thing. Like mm-hmm. we'd take a movie like Beauty and the Beast, and we would turn that into an island where the player can unlock different areas of the, the island, and it would um, <clears throat> bring to life the whole story of the movie. So I would have to take for the quest uh, dialogue... I would have to take this, the actual script from the movie, from either Walt Disney Animation or Pixar, and then abridge it to make sense for the game. Um, That's great. It was it was awesome, and I got to. It was really cool because I got a chance to talk to a lot of the writers that were at Pixar, Walt Disney Animation, which was a huge thrill for me because I'm a Disneyphile. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I worked on hidden object games and I had a great producer who was in Seattle and we would work together with the artist and create how, cause it would be the frame of the Disney film. And then I would have to figure out what, how, where the 30 items would go and what they would be and then hand it off to the, um, the artists and the producer. That's great. So it's really about the story and, uh, that kind of fits in nicely to what you ended up doing later audiobooks. But, um, I know, <laughs> but, but that is really, and I loved it. That is really, that is really important. I got to say, uh, the games that I have played, um, the the story for me is important. Like you said, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who uh, play video games of all different kinds, whether it's console or social media or whatever. And it yeah. is just kind of click, click, click. And ah, I don't care. I'm just I'm I'm shooting. And since I'm right. shooting, I'll, I, as long as I know who my target is, whatever. I don't care what they look like. But right, right. for me, 
the story was a big deal. And if the story didn't hold my attention or if I thought it was stupid, um, then I was really not interested in playing that much. Yeah, then then comes the rage quit. <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> it's like, why am I doing this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of my favorites were uh, Splinter Cell. I played through mm. all of the Splinter Cell games, even up to the point where they they got off of the PlayStation platform and went to Xbox. And uh, and I actually borrowed my nephew's Xbox so that I could play the next Splinter Cell <laughs> game, and and that was because of the story. I loved yeah. I loved the story, and you know, trying to work within the framework that they had, and finding out you know what's the next piece of of yeah. the story that I'm going to have to work through. And there have been other games where I've been like, yeah, and I'm just not that interested. So uh, so that's really cool that you got to work in that. So so you it really went, was. So uh, you went from that to uh audiobooks. to to working in audiobooks. Now, you said that previously you had done some uh voiceover work. Yeah. So, you were already familiar with VO in general? Yeah. And then you when you stopped doing the gaming, you went into audiobooks directly or you thought, well, <clears throat> you know, I'm at home, I can, you know, go back and do more voiceover work and then you kind of fell into audiobooks or or what happened there? That, well, yeah, that's actually pretty much kind of happened. I ended up getting laid off at Disney Interactive, which they ended up closing the whole division. Um, so that was kind of a massive bummer because it was I loved that job and I loved the team and, and what we were working on. But it happens. The gaming industry and the tech industry is very volatile. Oh, yeah. So I had a hard time finding another job. I had a lot of great interviews, but it just wouldn't just wasn't happening. So I'm like, well, <laughs> I need to do something. So I'm the kind of a person who take, you know, I like to make opportunities for myself. Uh, I'm not the kind of person to just wait for something to fall on my lap, mm -hmm. you know. And if it does, then I want to make sure I'm ready for that opportunity, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, okay, well, I still had all my equipment. I'm like, you know what? Let me just bust this out and set some stuff up and do some research. And I got, you know, a few little... Um, uh, voiceover gigs. Uh, and then I found an agent, um, cause I had to redo my demos and, you know, it's a whole process. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then my husband, genius husband that he is, who is an avid audiobook uh, listener, he's like, why don't you go into audiobooks? I'm like, duh, <laughs> that would be, cause I'm a voracious reader. I mean, I read like four, just personally, like four books a, a week sometimes. Wow. Um, the most books I've ever read in one week was 12. Um, Wow, and that's, that's yes, a lot I, of books. Well, that was when I was invalid, so I had sure. I had nothing but time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but yes, it was perfect. So I started looking it up, and you know, of course, I came across the ACX site, uh, and then Sean Pratt, and that's what did it for me. Finding Sean Pratt and then talking to him, it was like boom. You oh, know, I've heard of him. All, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think he was your first uh, interview. I believe uh, he was. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, he's Sean, fantastic. Sean's yeah. a great guy. Yeah, he is. Uh, and then it just went from there, you know, uh, and then I, 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 from day one in 2014, I just was all in. And of course, you know, it's really slow in the beginning, but I just, you know, yeah. four years later, it's just, it's been awesome. Yeah, that's so. fantastic. Four years is actually, I would, I would argue a relatively short period of time to yeah. have, have achieved the level of success that you have in the field. Um, of course, it's changing uh, practically daily. I think the landscape <laughs> for audiobooks is changing, and I, I can't even imagine how it's going to look different ten years from now. But, um, but <laughs> me it, neither. Yeah, um, but four years is not a terribly long period of time because I started around 2014 as well. Um, but I was mm -hmm. I've had to split my time among 
various things. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. so that's great. I know that you're, you're doing well and you've met lots of people and you're working for uh, some of the big boys now. It's starting to, I feel, <laughs> I feel like I've got like my, my head and my like upper body into the doorway looking in going, Ooh, this is what <laughs> and I'm, I'm almost all the way in. Uh, no, I just, I'm really blessed and grateful, you know, I've worked my hiney off and made a bunch of mistakes and some books that, you know, uh, were very good books. I just wish I did better on them now that I know what I know, Yeah, but no, I, you I, know, I, I you know. I, everybody understands that. I, I know yeah. that Jeffrey Kafer has posted about that. I mean, he's, I think he yeah. just hit the, uh, 500 book mark, if I remember correctly. I know, I know. That's such a huge milestone. Yeah, it, it is. And he has written uh, on at least one occasion, probably more, that, you know, he wishes he could go back and redo his first 50. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I haven't even hit 50 yet. So, uh, so I, I totally get that. Um, Actually, I was talking with uh, the first author that I ever gave me my first audiobook job, Teresa Kay, uh, Broken Skies. Fantastic book. Um, I thought I did okay on it, but my sound back then sucked, right? It was more tinny mm -hmm. and you didn't have the right sound setup, sit up, um, sound setup, setup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I was like, I, I, she's got two other books in the series. And so we were talking like, ah, oh, you know, if we do the other two books in the series, I'll redo the first book for free. <laughs> <laughs> Just because your name is on it. Well, and I've always like, man, if there was one book I could redo, that would be the one. Yeah. Such a good book. And I've done so many amazing books, right? But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I no, don't know. We'll see. <laughs> totally understand. So now that you've been doing this for uh, four, four plus years, uh, do you have any kind of a specialty or a niche within audiobooks? Or are you equally happy narrating in, you know, any genre? Well, I'm yes to both. Um, I'll, I'm equally happy to narrate in any genre. Um uh, whether it be nonfiction, I love nonfiction. I haven't done many, but I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, find it fascinating. Um, uh, especially the tech stuff. I did a, a, um, a book called technically wrong, which is kind of bashing the way social media has been. And a lot of stuff that's gone on with, you know, Facebook or Twitter and, and how things are in the tech world. It was really, really good. Mm -hmm. Um, especially coming from the tech world. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's great when you've got that background. Yeah. I mean, because there's a problem about inclusion and diversity issues. And it was awesome. It was a really good book. Um, but for me, I I feel like my strength, I guess, would be more in the YA category or the middle grade, especially the 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 first person, angsty teen, emotional kind. Yeah. Uh, is where I think I shine the most. I think I'm OK at, you know, a as general. Um, but I think where I am strongest is there and I love it. I, I do enjoy it, whether it's paranormal or, um, just coming of age. Um, but I do, I do like, I just finished this book called fatal agreements, which is coming out hopefully next month, um, by Ashley Fontaine. She's one of my favorite authors and I've done several of her books and it was actually a very dark book and it was adult thriller and it took me emotionally to places that I hadn't gone to before. Oh, it was an so, adult thriller, not a YA. Correct. Oh. And I loved it. That's so, great. Is that, it, the, is that the first book of that type that you've done? No, it's not actually. I've done several, especially with Ashley, <laughs> but uh, no, I've done several. Um, and I, 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 I think if no matter if, if, as long as the book has like that, emotional context within it that I can like connect with right away, mm -hmm. then I'm just all in no matter what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, so sometimes you connect really well. Uh, tell me about the award that you won. 
Oh, that was so cool. <laughs> well, first of all, kudos to Paul Stokes for putting this together. He put, he's got um, the audiobookreviewer.com, which is a, a, a great indie um, site for reviews, for re- reviewing audiobooks. Um, I'm, I'm quite familiar with them. He is sponsoring this episode. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I like, so, you know, as you know, he's put together the audiobookreviewer.com for years. Mm-hmm. And this this year, he put together, he's like, I want to have something that showcases and honors the indie crew. Not that the Audis, I mean, they have some indie books that are in the mix, but usually it's just mostly from the publishers. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just really beautiful to be able to see what he has done and have it come to fruition with the Audiobook Awards at the Here Now Festival. Yeah. And it was very exciting because uh, for the inaugural year, I was nominated for the best young adult book, and then I won. That's so. fantastic. Which, so which book was this? Digital Horizon. It was book three in this geek girl mysteries where uh, the main character was a 17-year-old uh, genius hacker. Oh my God, you must have loved that. I loved it. I loved it. I loved every second of it. And, you know, the government needed her and a lot of other, um, there was a lot of other emotional things that were going on too. It's just fantastic. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I know that the uh, the ABR awards were uh, were a big deal on social media just before APAC when when Paul came out with all the information. Um, And I wasn't uh, focusing on that, but I have several friends that I, that I've met over the past couple of years who were nominated and who won. And, uh, it was, it was a pretty exciting thing. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a really good time there. The show was really good. Jeff Strand, who's an author, he was hilarious as he like emceed the whole thing, uh, you know, and, and just having it together with the here now festival was just, it was just fun. It so, was a great experience. And my dad came with me and that was really neat. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, so t- talk about the Here Now Festival for a little bit, because I don't know that much about it. And I'm sure that a lot of uh, a lot of listeners are not that familiar with it either, who may be new into audiobooks and they're, you know, doing all they can just to keep up with what the hell is APAC. Um, so, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, uh, so, so talk about the Here Now Festival and what was it like? Yeah, I actually would uh, would love to. And I actually think you should look into it <laughs> because it has a whole huge podcast section. Oh. Um, so I think this show, which was so good and so fun, I think would fit in really nicely there. So and I'm going to do my best to, you know, explain as best I can what here now is from what I understood. Sure. It's basically like a film festival environment, but for audio not just audiobooks, but for podcasting or radio dramas or anything that is related with audio. Um, oh, okay. And, and, and then, you know, there was a lot of live performances of what would have been a radio drama. And I actually was a part of one of them, which was pretty fun. Um, it was an Ed Wood musical. We did like 11 minutes of this musical. It was fun. Oh, my um, God. A musical based on Ed Wood? That would be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was hilarious. Um so just being able to showcase a lot of the different styles of audio there is, you know, there's a lot of DJs there. There was a lot of voiceover people there. There were um, some really, oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm going to forget their names. So uh, Phil Proctor uh, oh. was a big, is a big name. And he had this like show that went on for a long, long time that was on the radio with him and his comedy duo. And they did a whole big event there. And then Neil Helliger's put on this incredible thing called Shakespeare Rumbles or Shakes Rumble, which was we had like Julia Whalen and PJ Auckland and Tavia Gilbert and uh, Those Donna Postel. Are some big names. Holy cow! And it went on to Dion Graham and Robin Miles and uh, oh my god, there's so many. I'm drawing a blank. 
But um, so they would go put together and um, like an improv. So so let's say PJ and Julia and they went they headed off the longest before PJ won. Um, I posted videos actually for it um, where Neil would give them a scenario kind of like whose line is it anyway? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you're a chicken um, or you're walking on lava uh, or East European accent. And they'd have to do their uh, monologue, their Shakespearean monologue at the same time, staring at each other's eyes and not faltering. And it was this big contest. It was just brilliant. So really it was like, sounds great as somebody who has done some Shakespeare and who loves Shakespeare. uh, That sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, it was incredible. Uh, and kudos to them who did it because that looked hard. <laughs> um, and there's, I have a lot of videos on my site, but also I think uh, I had given them to Sue Zizza, so they should be on the Here Now Festival um, website, so you can see the 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 competitions for the Shakes Rumble. But you know, so really, it was just kind of an honoring of just performance, really, because there was a lot of audio there, there was a VR setup thing there, there was also workshops there. Um, to learn a bunch of different things. There was a narrator roundtable, which was very fascinating. So uh, it was actually a really nice breath of fresh air after coming from the f- the craziness that APAC was, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which was which was awesome. But then going to this was much more chill, and um, you still had a lot of your friends that you're seeing, but you're still learning and growing. I loved it, and I I'm definitely going back. That's great. I will definitely look into that and uh, and find out more and see if that might fit in next year. As you were mentioning earlier, um, budgetary constraints are in place. <laughs> and so uh, oh, sometimes yeah, it's seriously. difficult. But I will definitely look into that. It sounds great. Uh, so getting back to your work in audiobooks, uh, what's your what's your recording situation like? You record at home, you record in studios, do you uh, travel to actually record where somebody else wants you to work? Um, mostly I, I work from home. Um, in my fancy, um, lovely uh, Scott Peterson uh, audio booth that used to be owned by the incomparable Simon Vance. So uh, I tried to stay. In- yeah, he's he's you know he's done a few <laughs> things, uh, and probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Um, so yeah, no. So I have a I you know I'm really excited about I have like this like killer sound booth, um, and so I do most you know all the thing here. I've only driven down. I've only traveled once. And I drove down the six hours to L.A. to do a book for Deanne. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, Dion's great. I, oh, I, uh, yes. Everybody that I've met from Dion, from Deborah all the way down, has been great. Oh, my gosh. They are just a joy. Yeah. Um, and they really, you can tell they, they care. Like, there's no falseness at all within. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. Uh, I'd love to go do more, but mostly I just do from my home. I was really lucky. I just did a book with Hachette. Um, where the director Skyped in. So that oh, was wow. neat. Yeah, that was a first, and that was really exciting. Um, and now I'm doing a book for Brilliance uh, in my booth. So um, so that was kind of nice. Yeah, I know that Brilliance does a lot of their work at their studio. In fact, I they think do. that up until not too long ago, that was all they did. Um, but it's it, true. But it, yeah. sound, it sounds like they have branched out and, and are doing more with remote uh, recording. Yeah. Now, don't quote me on this, but this is just my speculation on the possibly why that is. If you think about how much audiobooks have been booming, and now I think most days the publishing houses, no matter what book they get, it's going to be an audio. Mm-hmm. So now they have a lot more work yeah. and probably not enough studio space. Yeah. You know? No, I, I, and, I think that's probably true. And I don't need so, to quote you. You just said it for everybody who's listening. 
<laughs> uh, you're welcome. So <laughs> I don't yeah, know. No, I, I think that's probably true. Um, and I'm grateful too, because, you know, a lot of times, sometimes I might be doing two books at once, you know, the couple, couple days blend into each other. And, or for me, especially I've got a pain disorder. So sometimes, you know, my schedule is all over the place. Um, but, uh, I wouldn't be, a, um, against going to Michigan for brilliance or something. That would be fun, but I'm grateful to be able to do it at home. Yeah, no doubt. Um, it's, I, I think that a lot of people feel that way and I feel that way as well. Although with my stomach being as, um, unpredictable as it is in terms of how much noise it is making at what time of day and how yeah. nothing, nothing that I do to change it makes any difference usually. Um, I'm, I'm concerned about the possibility of somebody saying, why don't you come to the studio and you can work for, you know, four hours in the morning and four hours in the afternoon. And I'm thinking, I don't know how much usable <laughs> audio you're going to get out of that time. I don't know how many times you're going to have to stop me every 20 seconds, but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, well, you know, working with, um, the director from Hachette, Christine Farrell, it's amazing. Uh, I was nervous. I'd never done it before. I'd never worked with a director, but always wanted to, right? Mm -hmm. Because when I when I did the book for uh, for Deanne, I, it was a multicast, so my role only was ten minutes of recording. So it was just me and the engineer. Mm -hmm. So um, I mean, he was great, but it was it was very short and simple. But with you know the book I did with Hachette, uh, I had the director every single day, and we had a nine thirty to three thirty. So I was like, okay. How am I going to do this? Yeah. So I was just up front, especially with my pain disorder. I was like, hey, Christine, just so you know, I don't want you to freak out. I, I might scream out in pain every once and again. I'll let you know when I'm not okay. <laughs> <laughs> and she, was, it was, she was the most gracious thing. Oh, my gosh. It was such a joy to work with her because not only was she just... It, it, it let me let go so I could just focus on performance. Because, you know, as we're doing our audiobooks, we're wearing the director's hat and the editor's hat at the same time. Yep. And that can cloud your performance. Yeah, absolutely. So so the best thing was being able to have that communication with her. And she was like, you have no idea the things I've heard. It's all good. <laughs> so well, that, so it, it was very freeing. That's... Even the times when I had to belch like crazy, you know, because I do. I'm gaseous. What can I yeah, say? No, that's 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 <laughs> great to hear that. I uh, hopefully that'll at, at some point it'll it'll um, be a possibility where I'll be working with a director, whether in person or remotely, and they will understand my gut issues. Um, so, so it sounds like you are, uh, that you like some of the, um, darker things and you also do a lot of YA. What about anything that you haven't narrated that you would like to, or that you really want to steer clear of? Um, I think I'd love to, you know, the gamer in me wants to do more lit RPG game lit kind of a stuff. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, uh, really doing well these days. I know. And it's so in my wheelhouse of just what I enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I'd love to do more of that. Um, uh, you know, have you ever heard of uh, Jim Butcher and the Dresden Files series or MD Massey and the junk, um, the junkyard Druid the series? Dres Dresden Files sounds really familiar. Oh my God. If you haven't read it, you need to get right now and just read it or listen to it. Um, but, but anyway, I want to do more of those kind of books, which are very, uh, so those are like paranormal, um, with a lot of sass and snark and there's a lot of, uh, fae related um the fairies and stuff and it's a lot of mystery and action and and snarkiness so yeah. I, I i enjoy that okay um so what about anything that you're you are you know you have oh, stayed right. away from or you want to stay away from yeah well for me you know what's really important 
at least in my brain, um, and what I've kind of gleaned from the coaches that I've had is it's, it's really important to understand your brand and from what, and also your moral integrity, right? Um, so for me, I, I don't want to narrate anything that is going to glorify anything that's heinous like rape or the Nazis, whatever they did, you know, mm-hmm. uh, things of that nature, uh, pedophilia. I, I do, I, there are moments when those things are in the story because it follows the, the storyline and it makes sense. Like I did sure. a book where a serial killer had kidnapped my, the main character and a whole bunch of scary stuff happened, but it wasn't a glorification of it. It was very Dexter-like, right? Mm-hmm. It was very, you have to know this to understand, to take us to the next level and how she rises above it and blah, 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 blah. Right. So that's fine. But when it's just there as showing like this is a glorification or severe misogyny or racism, I just, I can't or I won't. Yeah. No, so, I, and that, I hear that. Yeah. I, I also try to stay away from um, books that are not for me in the sense like, okay, for instance, if there was a book where it was a woman of color I shouldn't be narrating that. We have fantastic women of color narrators. They should be doing that because it makes more more sense. Um, right. So, so that's another thing, just out of moral integrity, that I try, you know, to shift and understand. And and having the the what's the the bravery to be to know it's okay to to discuss those things with either the author once you find out, because a lot of times you don't know it's coming until you've read the book in prep. You're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that does happen. In fact, I've read a couple of threads recently online about people getting into those situations. Uh, sometimes you don't know everything. Sometimes even the person giving you the book, if it's a producer as opposed to the author, they have not screened the entire book. And so even they're not aware of, yeah. of what the material is. And that can be difficult, but I completely agree. I think that um, it is uh, really a good skill to have to be able to look at those things and I, I, for me anyway, I think that it, it comes down to knowing your boundaries mm-hmm. reasonably well. I, I think that, you know, everything is a specific uh, situation that you have to look at independently. But knowing your boundaries well enough to be able to tell fairly quickly whether you'll be comfortable or be willing to do something. And then be be brave enough to say you know what uh it doesn't matter what the pay is it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that this has already been agreed to i didn't know about this thing and i have to say something yeah i mean and usually for me i think it's most important if you try to prep the book as fast as possible to avoid putting that uh producer or author in a crunch Absolutely, or in the lurch yeah. you know um because it can be you know a difficult you feel bad you're like i am so sorry i cannot do this and you know, there are those moments you're like, okay, well, should I put it as a pseudonym and still do it? But then you're like, so that is an option. So then it kind of separates you from, okay, well, for instance, if I had, let's say, a book where it was a little bit heavy, sexist, and slightly racist, um, but wasn't like horrific, but it was like, I still didn't want to do it because my Andrea M's brand is not that dark. Mm-hmm. Um then, okay, maybe I'll, all right, I'll, I'll come up with a pseudonym. And that happens all the time. Narrators have pseudonyms all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And it's important because you're separating your brands, whether if you're doing stuff that's heavier romance versus Christian stuff, you know, it's good to not mix them. Right. But there, there are also those moments where like, you know what? I can't even do it with a pseudonym because I can't do it. Yep. It's, it's, I still, can't, it's still my voice. Yeah, it's still my voice. It's, I still have to go through the emotions during that time frame of narrating that. 
not only you're reading through it twice, the first time when you prep it and then when you're performing it. And I've been in situations where I am like ugly crying in my booth because of a scene that I've had to do. Um, um, and though it's it affects you, right? Yeah. So if it's that, if it's that troublesome, I, like you said, I, I, I don't care how much it was or if it was a big name author or whatever. I'm like, I'd have to politely decline. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's important. I think that it's an important thing to, as you're, you know, as anybody is getting into this business is to have a pretty good sense of, uh, where you draw the line. And, and again, mm-hmm. I think that every situation is different. And so something, some things might just be straddling that line. And then you have to really think hard about that particular project. Yeah. But, um, but if you're going in with as, uh, as good a, um, description for your own self of where you draw the line, as possible, then uh, it makes those decisions at least a little bit easier. So I, I completely agree. So you were talking about branding there for a minute, and, and that's actually come up with me recently, is I, I told an author that um, I'm not sure if I'm going to use a pseudonym or not. It's not because uh, I have a problem with the material, but it really is a branding issue. It's mm-hmm. whether or not I want this particular material associated with what I put out in general for your name for, yeah, yeah. W- with my name with the services um, and so so that has come up with me recently but branding is something that you deal with quite a bit because in addition to all the narration stuff you also design websites for audiobook narrators so how did you get into that yeah well remember how I said I make opportunities for myself mm-hmm. um Part of it is <laughs> I spend all this money on this amazing um, Bachelor of Science degree for game art and design. And then at, once I was not doing video game designing anymore, I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I still have these student <laughs> loans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I, I don't really actually I don't remember exactly how, how it came up. Um, I had already been playing around with Wix and Weebly myself on my own stuff. Back when I was in college, I made my own website as a gamer. Mm-hmm. And I also, at, at the Art Institute, I, I worked as an aide in the career services uh, department where I would have students come and I would I would coach them on their resume and being industry ready or looking at their portfolios and how to set them up. So I already had a background and love for doing that. So I was starting to do it for myself. And after having, you know, the class with Sean Pratt, who has does some great stuff about discussing with marketing and, and that kind of a thing. I was talking to another narrator and actually Megan Kelly, awesome human being and fantastic narrator. Yeah. I met she Megan was, this past year at APAC. She was great. Yeah. Oh, I know. It was the first time I got to see her in person too. It was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've known her for years, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so she was my first client, so to speak. Uh, and I, I don't remember how it came up. Like, well, I'll help you or something. I don't know. And it just morphed from there. And then I started to slowly do more. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I really love this. Uh, I'd like that I can, when, when there's downtime from the audio, cause sometimes feast or famine. So I have a way to supplement my income and still do something that's creative and help fellow narrators. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can do other websites. I've done stuff for audio flow. I did their casting. I did for Sean Pratt. Um, there's a possibility of me doing one for an author and then a, a, a children's book illustrator um, and a stained glass uh, designer. But mostly, yeah, I, websites for narrators to help them because we don't have a lot of time to do all kinds of stuff, especially. And there's a lot of DIY do it yourself website builders out there that are great. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But a lot of times they're like, well, yeah, I can drag and drop things, but I don't really have the design eye. 
or whatever to figure out how to brand myself or set it up. I just want to have it there and then I teach me how to do little updates so I don't need you again. I'm like, yeah. perfect. Um, so I, I was starting to think about that as you were talking about the design. There, there are a lot of DIY um, tools out there. The problem that I have found with those is that uh, I feel like I'm lucky because I have a tech background. I spent, you know, 20, right. 20 years doing database design and implementation and um, development. And then I went into web development, not design, but yeah. back, back end development. Yeah, HTML in, and stuff. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. in, well, actually, it was more integrations. So it oh, was, it okay. was uh, you know, a website. I was... Uh, involved with a website for a while that was back when VRBO and HomeAway started to take off and we were a competitor and they won. So mm -hmm. so the startup that I was in didn't make it, but in the process, I learned a lot about integrations where you're taking in masses of data. For, in this case, it was for um, uh, vacation rentals. And okay. it was it was consolidated data in specific formats that then you had to write programs to suck that data in, put it in your mm -hmm. database, and then display it on mm -hmm. on the page. So it was it was a combination of the back end stuff that had nothing to do with how it's displayed and the front end stuff, so that it actually everything made sense. And then I I did a little bit of graphics for them, you know, uh, coming up with buttons and you know various mm -hmm. different things that show up on the page. And, uh, and so I have this background. So when I get into the, the DIY things, uh, my website is with Squarespace. I was with GoDaddy yeah. for a while. I mm -hmm. know that Wix and Weebly have their own tools. Um, the, the, the good thing is that I feel like I get where all of this stuff is going. The bad yeah. thing is that even I, with this experience, sometimes are frustrated by how it is that these different tools work or don't work the way that I expect them to. And so a lot of times um, it can it can be a very frustrating experience. And so having somebody, hiring somebody to do that who has an eye specifically for the the creative things and especially the creative things that are in that are related to the field that you're in can be yeah. really helpful. I try. I mean, one of the things that, you know, when I first start doing a website for someone, I listen to their samples on Audible. And I get a real sense. I mean, we I have a, a, a Skype con con consultation. I ask a lot of personal questions about who you are, where do you think you want to go? A lot, kind of like what you did, um, just to kind of get to know them, mm -hmm. to understand. Because it's more than just our voices. It's also our personality and what we offer, like, to our clients. Yeah, right? ab absolutely. Absolutely. In this kind of a business, your brand is not a phrase. Your brand is you. Yeah. Like, I was just working with someone uh, last week. And her stuff was very black and she's a very YA and pushing YA and sweet romance. So I'm like, you need color, you need pop. And so I'm like, let me do something for you. Boom, boom, boom. It's like, oh my God. So she's like, man, I didn't even think about that. I, you know, cause a lot of times we are, we, as actors, we are very creative in the imaginative space, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to suck ourselves into what's happening within the words that we're given. And that is a gift and a talent. But the creative side of, of visualizing how you are on paper necessarily about you or your brand, sometimes you need an outside perspective to come in and go, oh, really? Well, this is what I hear and what I see. Yeah. What do you think? And I like to work together. Like, I don't say, okay, give me all your stuff and I'll get back to you. I'm like, no, I'm like, hey, check in. Is this okay? I send a whole like PDF with some bunch of ideas because it's, 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 it's their it's them. I want to make sure they're happy with what I give. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's great. That sounds like a great approach. 
And then I, I don't do HTML very well. And um, so I'm more of the design creative side of things, right? And how to, you know, help you punch up your bio or if you've got a resume or, or whatever. But um, I can set you up for success. And then I do a, um, a tutorial at the end showing them how to do it. Where it most of it's not the whole thing. So that they don't need me. Like, hey, I need to update my pictures. You can do it yourself. You don't need me. Because I don't want to be that constant web designer for every one of my clients where like, mm-hmm. hey, I've got this, you know, nickel and dime them with all kinds of different, okay, well, you got four updates because we update stuff all the time. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so it's worked out and it's been, and it's fun and it's, it's, I love it. I love it. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. So it's not just something to fill in the spaces. It's something that fills in the, the gaps and that you actually really enjoy. I do. <laughs> That's great. I do. Yeah. I, I completely agree with with your description of, you know, coming up with something visually. So you may be a creative person, but there's all different kinds of creativity. And being being great as an actor, being able to do this or character voices or whatever it is, doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to translate into totally knowing and understanding what you need to do to graphically present what you do um, to anybody who might come and take a look at it. Um, and so that's, yeah, and, that's, and that's not, yeah. And, well, and I'm not saying I'm the best graphic designer in the world, <laughs> but, um, but I, I do have, uh, I come from an art background before I got into acting, I was heavy, heavy into art. Um, my mom went to RISD and so my husband's an artist. So I definitely, um, what's, what's RISD? Rhode Island school of design. Ah, it's a prestigious okay. art school. Yeah. So, so, so it, it's, it's, it's exciting to be able to, uh, presents like, well, what do you think about this? And like, oh my God, I never thought of that before. And yeah. that makes me feel good because I, I, I am able to elevate someone hopefully, um, with their look or, you know, their brand. And even if their brand, their brand probably will change in a couple of years. You never know. Cause we change all the time, but oh, absolutely, yeah. when you're, when you're getting started, you know, one of the biggest things you need to get set up. Okay. So first, as you know, coaching, coaching, coaching. Mm-hmm. And then after that, more coaching. <laughs> You're constantly coaching, right? Because, you know, there's so much to learn. It's such a, a, an interesting technique and there's so many different uh, um, layers to audiobook narration. Um, but then you also need to have a website. You need to have something, not just a SoundCloud, like a place where you can have a professional look because your clients, when you have a website, is not fans of audiobooks or book readers or, or authors. Well, a little bit authors. It's the casting people. Right. It's the you know, it's the publishers. It's the indie authors. It's it's the, the the producers and directors. That's who you're catering to. So you need to have something that sh- it doesn't have to be. It can even be one page. You don't have to be all like crazy crazy. But you know, it, it's important to have a presence and have a way when you get an email. Okay, great. Send me a link to your website. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I, I see questions about that every once in a while about having a website. And I just think in this day and age, I mean, 20 years ago, things were different 20 years oh, ago. Yeah. Well, of course people exactly. didn't have websites. I can still remember thinking, what are we 2018? I can still remember thinking in the mid nineties when, uh, every, uh, local store was trying to get on the web thinking, why are they bothering? You know, yeah. what's the big deal? It's not that world anymore. And, no, and it not really at all. is where everybody now, and that was back in the day when I think that broadband made up something like 3% of, of the people who were getting onto the internet. And now it's just expected. And, and if I can't go to a mm-hmm. website to see something about somebody, 
I don't want to take the time to try to figure out what I need to know from LinkedIn or Facebook or right. uh, or SoundCloud or mm-hmm. any place else. Just give me a website. I'll go to your website. I can click on your demos. Um, well, and you know what? I'm glad you said that because actually it, it's kind of that gamer mentality too. It's like click, click, click. Don't make me hunt for it. Yeah. You know, I used to work in casting and, and production and, and one of the things that will rage quit me very quickly is if I go to someone's website or DeviantArt page, if it's for, you know, or, or some other random thing and I have to spend more than 30 seconds searching for what I need. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so yep. that's why I'm like, always put your demos on your homepage. Boom, right there. It's, um... Make it as, as spoon-fed. Not that they're stupid. They just, they have very busy, busy, busy lives. Oh, and absolutely. And you only get, you only get a short amount of their time of their attention. Yeah. And if you can wow them right away, then they'll give you more of their time. Oh, well, maybe I'll listen to more than 30 seconds of this demo. Yeah. The three, three to five minute demo you have. So, so yeah, it's really, it's, it's a stock feature now that we have to provide. Yeah. And also too, they don't want you to send attachments to their emails anymore, mostly because either their corporate email doesn't have the space for it. Um, and it just gets junked anyway. So they'll never see that email anyway, or it just clogs things down and links are what people want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that started a few years ago and I think it's, I don't think it's quite universal now. There are still some places that want you to send MP3s, but um, of course, of most, course. most places now are like, don't even think, even if they don't say on the website, if, mm-hmm. if they don't say on the website, don't assume that you should send uh, an attachment because most places don't want to see it. Uh, you, you have to provide something. So that that's great. It sounds like you know a lot about what uh, places are looking for these days. Um, well, you know what? I try to, but I also, not only from what I learned just in the industry at the Art Institute, because uh, there was several different um, career paths uh, that that college provided um, for study, but also going to APAC and listening to what the casting directors are saying in their, in their panels mm-hmm. and how some of them had outright said, don't send me attachment and everything I just said a second prior was all from what I learned at the panel. And also, you know, times when you're like, okay, from another panel that I heard, um, um, one of the casting directors from brilliance, he's like, Hey, let me know if you do something outside of, of just acting, you know, like, are you, did you used to be a doctor, that kind of stuff? And like, or a game designer, that kind of stuff can help them with casting. And it totally has because I now put that on my bio. Hey, fun fact, and write stuff about my gaming, what games I'm playing right now, just a little personality of my thing. Mm -hmm. And also every now and again, when I reach out to a publisher, I I put that stuff in there. And it's it's been amazing because I've gotten two books from Brilliance where they've been uh, gamer geek related or comic book related. I'm like, this is awesome. So um, yeah, for me, I think that goes back to everybody's got a story. And you know what? That story informs everything that you do. And yeah. so everything that you've been through in your life, um, you know, that that might be an in to make somebody more interested in how it is that you can bring their story to life. Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. You come from a paralegal background, let's say, or a legal background. You're going to understand Latin and all the jargon. If you were given a nonfiction book about legal cases or something or a true crime from a legal point of view, would you rather have someone who has zero experience in that or you know you have another great narrator who has that background that will just infuse that extra subtext and and substance 
because you have that background in your story. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like you were saying when you have done the high tech books, the the nonfiction mm-hmm. in the tech mm-hmm. world, you you have uh, the vocabulary, you have the, uh, the interest. In- interest, the information. Mm-hmm everything that goes into being able to perform that kind of book better. So, so yeah, I, I think that's great. Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, of course we all can very quickly as actors become mini experts in that moment if we need to, sure. <laughs> but yeah, but it, it, I think it helps and it's nice. And it also gives us something more to offer about ourselves and just, Hey, I do voices. Yeah. I'm a person I, too. I, I read good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it makes perfect sense. All right. Well, um, well, that's great. Andrea, do you have any uh, any last words, any uh, words of wisdom for aspiring narrators out there? You know, it kind of goes back to what I had said before. For any aspiring narrators, I think it's important to realize a couple things that narr- uh, narrating audiobooks is um, tedious. Uh, it is uh, time consuming. And only if you really love it will you find joy and uh, self-worth in doing it. So um, make sure that you have an acting experience because you're going to need that. It's going to help you tenfold because it is an acting job. But just know it's a marathon and not a sprint. I mean, we hear that all the time, right? Yep. I don't know how many times I've parroted that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I absolutely believe that at this point. Yeah, it takes time. It takes time. It takes time to build, getting the right sound equipment. I wish that I had... N- instead of just jumped in it so quickly because I was so excited and I'd gotten a book and I just started with Sean, but my sound system wasn't set up. My sound, uh, I was in a closet. Um, I'm five foot, so I wasn't that, I was still kind of (laughs) roomy in my closet, but, uh, but it wasn't, the sound wasn't as nice as I have it now, you know? So if you can try to learn and almost take a college course in it and don't just jump into it right away. I think you'll have a stronger portfolio, a stronger sense of what you're doing. Cause I, I've seen narrators who are kind of green or just starting out, uh, post threads on here thinking that something is supposed to be one way or, you know, like, Oh, well, no, the author is supposed to proof my stuff or, or whatever. And like, that's how it works. I'm like, mm, no, it's not actually. Yeah. And so, so understand the craft, you know, take the time to understand it. And all levels. And I think the more you root yourself on that foundation, I think everything else will fall into place. I think that is great advice. So (laughs) I think that that's a good place to leave it. Uh, This has been great. I'm so glad that you had a chance to to stop in here at the Speakeasy. Uh, Where can people find you if they're looking for you online? Um, Thank you. Um, AndreaMs.com, A-N-D-R-E-A-E-M-M-E-S dot com or AndreaMsDesigns.com. So Andrea M's design. Or Facebook that, or Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> Andrea M's design is specifically for the uh, the website stuff. Yeah, Andrea M's designs.com is specifically for the graphics and website stuff. Okay. Um, but if you just want to check out what I've done narration wise, uh, you can go to andreams.com. Okay, great. And uh, and Twitter? You mentioned Twitter. Twitter, Instagram, what's Facebook. Your, what's your handle there? Twitter, it's at AMs. So A E M M E S. Okay. And then Instagram is at a, oh Lord, A-E narrator. Oh my God. A-M's narrator. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to remember them all sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, gotta, A-M. Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep those, uh, keep those online handles straight. I understand. <laughs> exactly. And then Facebook is Andrea M's Chenna. Uh, Chenna being my married name. <laughs> and that's uh, C-E-N-N-A. Yes. All right. 
All right. Well, this is great. Thank you so much for coming in. I hope your uh, your Smirnoff ice was good. I just <laughs> finished my aviation, and I will definitely have to keep it in the repertoire, maybe even put it on the menu. Nice. Well, I look forward to seeing a recipe then. And thanks for having me. This is really fun. No, I'm, I'm really glad it worked out. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Andrea M's Chenna for coming by. I'm always interested to hear about how people have gotten to where they are in life. Sometimes it's a fairly straight path, and sometimes there are all kinds of twists and turns. I'm really glad that Andrea could share her story with me with all of its ups and downs, and I hope you enjoyed hearing it as much as I did. And if you've been meaning to update your website, be sure to check out her work at andreamsdesigns.com. And thanks again to the Audiobook Reviewer for sponsoring the Audiobook Speakeasy. Don't forget to visit audiobookreviewer.com to check out the reviews, learn more about the Audiobook Listener Awards, and find out how you can get your audiobook reviewed. You can find the Audiobook Speakeasy on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from iTunes. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the Audiobook Speakeasy. If you're enjoying our Speakeasy chats, please leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated and helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Mm-hmm.